Welcome to The Beauty of Conflict, a podcast about how to deal with conflict at work, at home, and everywhere else in your life. I'm Susan. And I'm Chris Marie. We run a company called Thrive Inc. And we specialize in conflict resolution, stress management coaching, and building strong, thriving teams and relationships, both in person and virtually. On this podcast, we'll be sharing tips, tools about how to make your team, your relationship, and even you work more effectively. You can find us at thriving.com. That's www.thriveinc.com. Or follow us on LinkedIn at Thrive Inc. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, I'm Chris Marie Campbell. And I'm Susan Clark. And today we're going to talk about how to argue better. Now, you may be thinking, what? I don't want to argue at all. (laughs) But this is, we're recording this during National Conversation Week. It's the fourth annual National Conversation Week. And there's a organization called the Better Arguments Project. And the premise is, hey, our country was built on this ability to debate, to argue, and it's important. And we've become too polarized that we can't have those conversations. Now, they're dealing with it at a civic level. The same thing happens in a business level or even in a couple. Like, we just don't talk about that. <laughs> yes. And and so during this week, I've tried to participate in a couple of the different aspects of the program. I mean, they had a kind of cool part of the week, which was the America Talks, which where you got teamed up with somebody who had a different perspective than you. And you filled out all the context and you had a conversation with them. Mm-hmm. And then they also had this program on the three dimensions of arguing better. And then they're going to later in the week, which... I have not participated in yet. They're (laughs) going to actually have a situation where you can engage in more arguments because the whole idea is to practice these tenets. And I found that fascinating because we really do. That's kind of in the same line of what we talk about. I totally agree, Susan, that this all fits in exactly what we teach individuals, but we come into organizations and help them find their voice and hang in for that tension of a disagreement, a debate, yes, even an argument. Yes. And one of the features of the what I set in on mm-hmm. today was this idea of these different dimensions that come into play that are significant to well, let's talk potentially about that. Yeah. having a better argument. And those dimensions are one, historical context. I even brought that up like our country was founded on this ability to debate. Yes. And, you know, that that's sort of how we were forged. It's important to, and actually any, whenever we're working with a company, that historical perspective is really significant. I don't know how many times we've worked with a company where say there's a founder, there's a whole history around that, but they even have a whole thing around founder syndrome, most likely because- of that historical context, which new people coming in don't. Yeah. We just worked with a company more recently where there was a founder, 12 years, brilliant idea, but he's building a team of HR, CFO, sales, engineering, product, all these people. And when we were in this, there was a real argument because one person is like, we just need to sell as many of these things as possible. And the founder's like, wait, 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 that's, we actually want to provide this service to people in a whole different way. So we might want to invest differently. It was a real, but until they got to that point, which by the way, was in a two and a half day, it was the morning of the third day where they really got to that rubber meets the road about that. And it was so crucial for them to hang in because the other person, the head of sales got it. Right. Oh, this is different. (laughs) And historical context comes into play, you know, interestingly enough, 
yes, the founder there had the historical context for that company. And each of the people around that table who were new, more senior executives coming into, had their own historical context yes. that they were bringing to business. And, you know, it happens all the time, you know, where we've gone, I'm thinking of situations where even in city or state, there's been a whole way of looking at something. And then somebody new comes in, moves in from out of town. They have a whole different vision or image of what can be built there or what can happen there yes. or a business that is kind of floundering and brings in new money or a new acquire something and thinks, okay, now we're going to go this way because maybe that acquisition had something that took it off in a whole different direction. But if you don't kind of address the historical context of both the people coming in and the, you're going to really, you need to have that argument yeah. like they needed to have. Well, and even now with diversity, equity, and inclusion, you could even, you know, the fact that our country has had slavery and has had many years of prejudice, if you have a diverse workforce and people are trying to be heard, there's this whole history of being silenced and pushed aside. That comes up. And even the white privilege of, well, you know, not even noticing that. All mm -hmm. that is part of our historical context. It there's a lot in that one to unpack. But yes, yes and it, it's so critical right now as we're trying to deal with even, these issues. Even with COVID and our, like, we're in a state that there's no masks. We're already out. And so even people that came to work with us, they were from big cities, Seattle, LA, San Francisco, Austin. And they all were like, no, we're still wearing masks. So that historical <laughs> context was even something to deal with. Yes. And, it, you know, so it's quite that. It's, Why is it important to take into account? Well, I think if you don't take historical context into account, you're actually missing, you're operating with a bias. Like you're not aware that somebody else, like we often talk about in our world, we each have put our world together in a very unique way. Now, whole families, cultures have put their world together in a very unique way. And that has to come into play. And one aspect of that is the historical aspect, generations of a family or generations of a particular culture. I know that, Susan, when we when we are coaching individuals, a, a lot of the coaching work is helping somebody actually build a bridge to how they put their world together because it's so unconscious of, oh, th this is this is the data that I that falls loudly on my screen. And because it goes through my own personal filter where all my biases are, these are all the stories I habitually tell myself that frame my world, that frame my arguments. And so, yeah, I mean, and I think that is something we, we spend a lot of time talking about the bridge between people, but a lot of times that bridge into yourself is a big one to start paying attention to. Yeah. And, you know, some of that is just the events and the psychological or significant emotional events you've had in your life, your culture, your family. But it's also, there's a physical aspect to it. There's an emotional aspect to it. There's all sorts of ways of looking and understanding yourself. And I think what these folks are saying, the how to have a better argument group or the better arguments project is like, make it transparent, like raise it up out of the water and say, Hey, this is my historical context. And I'm curious about yours, Susan, what's your historical context. And the key they talked about in this, and that, you know, again, this was talking about civil discourse and civil situations, but not, you know, recognizing that, that there is something about historical context where you have to kind of draw upon facts, stories, things that actually have some way that you could measure the truth in them. Because what has happened today is that a lot of things have just become 
You don't know what the truth is anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, you know, there's false news, there's false information. And so to have a better argument, you you got to kind of try to do your best to come to the table with some valid data and information. Like validate it, to validate, validate your data. Yeah. And not just scream it out yeah. because it's something that you believe is true. You know, so fact check your facts, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, I think back to this was a long time ago when I was teaching school in Georgia and, you know, which is has a lot of racial history in it. And I was teaching in a private school. There were very few, if I think only one black child in the school that I was working in. And sometimes, you know, I was the PE teacher. So I was doing some music and dance. And sometimes kids would say things like this one kid I just remember was like, you know, you can't play any black music because they don't have any rhythm. And I remember this little kid. I mean, he was probably eight years old Mm -hmm. and it was like, it was fact. And I I knew I couldn't argue with him. Mm -hmm. Like that was not going to be useful. He's a little white kid. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So my strategy was all year and all the things we did in dance and movement, all of the music, I never said anything, but everything I did came from African-American artists. And actually at the end of the year, I consciously asked him, like, I, you know, it was a project. And I asked the class about what they thought of the music and they loved the music and he loved the music. And I said, I just want to let you know, and this is on a side note, you know, all of that music was by, by Afro-American artists. And he, you know, I said, I think you think they have rhythm, right? Like at least we can. So it was like, I had to bring in some actual data I couldn't just argue with him about whether that was true or not, because in his world, that's what he had heard. That's all he had seen. And I'm sure that's what from another context got talked about at home. Right. Exactly. Right. So powerful. I love that story. (laughs) So historical context, one, become aware of yours, fact check the subject you're talking on. This can even be in business. If you're talking about sales and product, and do you actually have those figures about how it's gone in the past? Those are important topics. And even I was thinking about even a couple, you know, like, well, for Christmas, this is what my family always does. That's part of my historical context. And if you come, Susan, well, this is what my family always does. That's, and then we have to figure out, well, okay, how are we going to create something new? And even though you, you know, we could get into, it helps to come in. This was the best that I can come with to understand why we did what we did and what we did. Yeah. You know, so in this fact checking thing, it's also not to just get into blatant arguing if you, you're like, but that's not true. You have to come up with someone. How can I demonstrate that it's the truth that I know? Yeah. You know, with some goodwill. So right. I, cause I do think to have better arguments and to deal with conflict, you need to come with some Goodwill. Yeah. So So this actually leads to the second key category, second dimension, which is emotional intelligence, which really just means I am actually interested in how you put your world together. Yeah. I mean, this is really where that concept of, you know, listen to understand, Mm -hmm. listen with the intent to understand versus just to get my point across or to listen to reply. And we often, when Susan, when we're teaching and talking, we often will ask people to Ask the question when you're on the other side, why is this so important to you? And I have to tell you, we taught this to a group of business executives and that we were with them for three days. And this business executive said he had called his family and his daughter was having a, she's six, was having a birthday party. And she had her, she had her little gift bags. And I guess it was mom who said, you know, this was dad who was at the offsite, but mom said, you know, we should invite Zoe. Zoe heard about the party. And we should invite her. And his daughter was like, 
no, I don't want to invite her. And he was going to have this talk with her about, you know, you need to be inclusive. Zoe was just another little girl, nothing. But, you know, we need to be generous and include people so they don't feel excluded. And then he, he remembered what we said, ask her the question, why is this so important to you? And so he said, well, why is it so important to you that we don't invite Zoe? And she said, well, if we invite Zoe, I'm not going to get my unicorn hat. And what they had done is they had developed <laughs> these six bags of, of goodies and one, and that included a unicorn hat. And she got the extra, but they did it for all the people and they had an extra one and the one was hers, the little girl who was having the birthday. And she thought, well, if Zoe comes, she's going to get my bag and I'm not going to get the unicorn hat. And he said, you know, honey, we can make another unicorn hat. <laughs> and all problems were solved. Zoe was coming to the party. No problem. <laughs> so, I mean, sometimes that that is how things go. I yes. mean, yeah, there's an innocence in that. And yet we've seen the same thing happen over the years oh, I, with adults. <laughs> well, yeah, like, no, I don't want to give up my resources or no, I don't want to go to the whatever your parents for Christmas, whatever the business. Well, even, you know, so often someone is like, well, if I that I won't meet my OKRs or my goals if I do that now. And that becomes a whole reason to fight for something that you may not be in the best interest of the business. And without knowing that, you don't really get to, well, maybe the OKRs need to shift. And yeah. Maybe that needs to be readjusted, you know. So right. those things come up all the time. So our key question in this emotional intelligence category is why is this so important to you? So slow down versus just convincing them they're wrong without... You really want to understand how come they're putting their world together. Because it could be a unicorn hat. Yeah. And there might be ways to fix that. So right. So emotional intelligence is a key is one of the key dimensions. And the final one is the recognizing power that in any given situation, there are power dynamics that go on. And people don't always enter as equals. No. And it's not about like I I remember years ago, and this was something that just helped me kind of get a grip on this. Like one of my mentors said, life isn't fair. Like it's not going to be fair. And that's, that's uh, sobering I, to actually think, because I think, I think I, Chris Marie have like, well, no, if things are, if I do the good job, things will be fair. And then what that led me, to, you know, so the question then is, how is it not fair? And let's talk about that. Mm. Is there a way to equal the playing field? And mm. if there's not, we still may need to have a conversation, even though it might not be fair. We may not get be able to get to fair, but that doesn't mean we can't equal the play and feel for people to show up mm -hmm. and express what they need to say. Yeah. I think, you know, how I see this happen when we're facilitating a team offsite is one of the things I think you and I, Susan, do well is we build relationships and then we're the person who actually slows down the CEO or the president or the dominating person in the room and says, wait a minute, you know, you've actually had been talking. Are you actually interested in the rest of the team? Or mm -hmm. let's slow down and hear from the rest of the team. And so often, I think a leader doesn't even realize that they're using the power yes. and that, and they really would like to be able to have people engage with them, but it's not been addressed. Right. And it's like, obviously you may carry more weight than you realize, and you need to at least be aware of that and acknowledge the possibility. Then, then you can have the discussion about whether it's true or not. And I think that comes up with race. I don't think people who are in privileged positions recognize how they are and 
automatically are using that. And so talking about those dynamics, kind of, again, revealing them just so that they're, can we make this playing field more? And one way in a team setting is giving more, giving a space for people to talk and also coaching the the leader, like, wait a minute, this is somebody who's giving you valuable information. Are you sure you just want to knock it right down? Because you're not going to actually get to the best mm-hmm. results for the business. Now, you know, it, this was a model that they have been using for these civil discourse and, dis- and arguments and conversations to get people to talk. I mean, in another vernacular, I mean, they also have these five principles to pay attention to. And the one that really struck me was, you know, when you come into an argument or you come into a difference, you have to suspend win-lose for a while. Like this comes up in a couple all the time. Because a lot of times (laughs) when we're doing couples works, it's like, well, we have to compromise. And it's like, no, we actually don't encourage you couples just to go to compromise. We actually encourage you to have a dialogue as though with each of you talking about really what you need to say from the context of that you have every, it's in your best interest to speak up and say what you really want and get that fully out on the table. Don't just compromise. Well, I think what you were going to say, tell me where I'm wrong, Susan, but you were like, you have every right to want what you want, feel what you feel. You may not get it, but there's to reveal it, especially in a couple is important. That's the vulnerability piece to say, yes, I'm the type of person who, you know, doesn't want to do the dishes at night. And I think (laughs) of how often if I'm listening, even what, you know, we're, if I'm listening to you and you and what you want, all I can do in my head sometimes is tick off. That's going to mean I have to do this. <laughs> that means you're going to have to do the dishes. And yeah. Or, uh, yeah. Or that means I'm going to have to, she wants some other different business thing. I'm going to have to do something I don't want to do. And that actually gets in the way of actually having the better argument or the better d- dialogue, which is to really listen and reflect back what I'm hearing from you. Yes, I agree. It's so hard though, when, if I think I'm going to lose something or have to do something, I'm, I'm going to like fight to protect it. So Mm -hmm. it becomes about win lose versus wait a minute. Can I just hear, this is who you are. Right. I mean, this, a simple example of that would be, you know, when there are times when you are wanting to take, get engaged in a play. Mm-hmm. I'll just take that as an example, Chris Marie. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I can just because, hear the enthusiasm yeah. right there. Okay. Because maybe I realize there are a few things we have lined up, in, in particular in our work, where we do a lot of that together, that either that means I'm going to be doing all those things by myself, or we're not going to have those things are going to get shifted and moved. And I've sort of planned out my schedule accordingly. Mm-hmm. And so, if I am sitting there thinking, okay, it's her schedule or mine, it's not a good conversation. Mm-hmm. If I really hear you out and don't take into account what it may impose upon me, often I found you get to your own clarity about whether it's whether you really want to do it or not. And then that com- you make a whole different decision. Because if I just start fighting back, then you don't even try out for the show and yeah. you're, you're resentful. <laughs> or I, you know... It just doesn't work. Right. So, you know. I do think, you know, it, it the taking winning off the table and actually it leads to the second thing that we often talk about is passionate listening is really just prioritize the relationship and be willing to listen to what this person mm-hmm. and how they put the world together. Like you, I think you do that when I'm like, well, wait a minute, should we do, should I do this play or not? And <laughs> that means we're going to have to move this offsite because we can't travel mm-hmm. to San Francisco if I'm on the play. And, you know, I kind of work my way through versus that coming right back and saying, well, you can't do that because we have this trip planned. Yeah. 
And, you know, I do think that prioritize the relationship and listen is kind of sometimes in business that can get so lost. I think of how many times we've been in a work situation where people and, and right now there's a there's a lot of that. People are exhausted from some of the things they've been asked to do to keep remote teams, deal with things. And there has to always be some awareness and it becomes even harder on Zoom or remotely to take into account what's really going on and pay attention to the relationship. I do think that, Susan, I agree with that. Like some teams are just like, we just got to get the work done and they don't take any time to connect because it feels a little awkward to connect on Zoom. And so, you know, it becomes dehumanizing Mm -hmm. and we are actually humans, not cogs in a wheel. And so when somebody takes the time to listen, when they prioritize the relationship, that really matters. It, it fills the gas tank as opposed to emptying it. Yes, you know, and the, I mean, those were two that really stood out to me. I mean, of course, you know, they had a couple others that we'll mention, like pay attention to the context, understand how each person came into the room, which we were talking about yeah. at the start, and and, and also the the keys that we talk about is embrace vulnerability. That means be willing to show up genuine, authentic, you know, awkward, messy revealing what you really think, feel, and want. And yes, we always, when we're in an argument, we want the person standing in front of us to be vulnerable and we don't want to be vulnerable, (laughs) but that's what we expect from you. You should be the one. And so be willing to actually drop in. And I think what my whole learning around vulnerability, which you know, it's been a, a process, Susan, is like, I am vulnerable for myself when I can go, you know what? I did just cut you off, or I did want to make you wrong just then. There's like this inner alignment and I'm not, because I have that inner alignment. Sure. You could, you could use that against me, but I've already owned it. It doesn't have, I I don't think it, it, for me, it doesn't have as much weight because I've shown up that way for myself. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? Yes, for sure. You know, and the last one that they talk about is make room for transformation, which for me just means you know, that well, you talk about that from the standpoint of don't come in thinking you already have the answer, mm-hmm. like make room for something new and outside of your own way of thinking. Where and this is so critical. Well, where this really comes to, we see it over and over again, whether we're working with business teams or couples to actually help people when we do an offsite, we actually spend time for people to reveal their context, mm-hmm. their style. And then we teach them the communication model and they build their relationships as we're going. And of course, they want to start with the business issue. But if we actually take the time to do that, the first afternoon, we get to the business issue. The next morning, it's it's evolving. The conversations are more transformative. Mm-hmm. They come up with new ideas that they wouldn't have come up with if they had been, let's solve this right now. Because yeah. there's, it's just like, it's very, I don't know, there's, I, I'm, you can't see my fingers, but they're very thin. Like it's, it's there's well, not people enough. People are too tight for one. Yes, thing. that's true. <laughs> and they're kind of they're going Do- after their own agenda, either to be efficient or to get what they need and want, or take care of their own team or take care of their own group. You know, yeah. versus okay, so that alone is a huge piece of it. And you don't have everything out on the table. No, you know, and it it takes some work and the and trust and you know to build that ability for people to be willing to show up. Yeah, I, I was reading also today about some research, and this I think was done at Google. And they, you know, they they did a lot of research on trying to figure out what the qualities were for really a high performing team. And they really did believe it was going to be about having different types of people. They thought people of like they wanted to know whether diversity was better or teams of like 
that we're all the same, we're better. But what was interesting was in the end, the results actually didn't come up with anything like that. Wow. You know, and what did seem to make a difference was when a team was able to create a situation where all people felt like they had an equal opportunity to speak up at the table and so that the conversation wow. kept going. Not not always like sometimes people want the conversation to be nice and polite. That's mm. actually not Mm-mm. as important as making sure everyone has an opportunity and feels like they can and will be heard when they speak up. I think that's a really good point and fascinating that Google did mm-hmm. that research. We kind of intuitively know all mm-hmm. that, but what is just because of the years of doing this work, but that polite, everybody wants people to be respectful and polite, which I can understand. I don't like the messiness of conflict, but when you're talking about something that's that's important People are passionate and energy does come up. Emotion mm-hmm. does come up. And it's our, it's often our history around dealing with scary emotion that it's like, ah, oh, that's danger. But you're going to, it's expanding my capacity to hold for that tension and hold for your energy is really the, what helps build that muscle so people can show up and hang in. And, and, you know, I think that is really where the idea of, it's not what the team is made up, but does the team actually develop that as part of their norms? And even they were also, I guess, I don't know whether this was from Google's research. I, th- I think so. But, but where they really began to learn a lot, they commented on some great teamwork, was how Saturday Night Live got started. Now, oh. here's the thing about Saturday Night Live, you know, and the, I think it's attributed to, I don't remember his first name, but the last name is Lerner, the person who actually got these teams of comedians together. And you got to you gotta think about that. Those comedians are pretty egocentric. Yeah. They have strong opinions. They really, you know, to, they have to do something pretty extraordinary in, five, in a week come up with a live show but what he what he was brilliant at was making sure that everyone got heard around the table wow and he would and then if somebody was sitting back and not saying something he would take them outside and say what's going on we're mm-hmm. gonna and you could say that takes forever and yet what happened was he made that that room for people to feel like they could show up and say something. And if they weren't, they were going to be invited back to the table. It wasn't just going to be dismissed. And that's kind of the roots of how Saturday Night Live I love that. became so successful. Oh my gosh, she yeah. hasn't told me any of this stuff. It's so <laughs> cool because I think people think it's going to take longer and it does take longer in startup. And people often say to us, oh, we can't take time for conflict. You know, it's too, it's not efficient. But oh my gosh, the time spent to develop those relationships mm-hmm. and create that space and include people because then they get and they're a part right. of the solution. I'm a part of the skit. We're going to do it together. Yeah, I can so and, get that. And, and it, I even I think about the team we were just with when it was so neat. When it was like, yeah, I want your ego to be here. I don't. We all have ego. So this was the CEO who knew he had an ego too, <laughs> saying that. And it's so you do. So even and that was the same thing on Saturday night. They wanted those comedians to bring all of that. It's like what every time, this is the beauty of conflict that we, it's such the the crux of our book. I love it because it's, you have smart people, talented uh, comedians or talented CFOs, HR people, product people, and they're passionate and they are focused on building a great show or building a great business. And so you're going to bump into different opinions, strong emotions, and that's holding that, being willing to show up and hang in and have everybody Share, oh my gosh, you come up with such transformational <laughs> results. And sometimes those scattered Saturday night skits are duds, but sometimes they're, they're phenomenal. Yeah. And that's 
that's just it. Yes. Continuing to hold that space. Yeah. So And continuing to iterate on yeah, that process, exactly. which is what we tell teams. Oh, this is so inspiring. This is the beauty of conflict, what we're talking about. Yes. And, and the transformational results. Call it a better argument or call it the beauty of conflict. <laughs> I'm for both. I think it's time that we recognize this what can be difficult or painful or hard for us is really the juice that's going to make us better, more innovative. A better country, too, if yeah. we can. Yeah. And if you need help with your style individually, we can, if you have trouble with conflict, we can coach you individually. If your team is struggling, hey, we love to work with teams. And, you know, people say it's the best offsite they've ever had. <laughs> And even couples, we do couples. So yeah. it's it's not an easy topic, but when you can learn, I'm, I'm a testament to this, when you can learn to do it better, I feel more alive yeah. and I feel like I matter when and, I put my voice forward. And just forward. know it's, it's not about being artificial. It's not about not showing up. It will be messy, but that actually can get you to where a new level of relating and connection. Yes, have a better argument. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Beauty of Conflict podcast. We know conflict, stress, and uncertainty can be hard to navigate. We want to support you becoming more resilient, able to speak up, and have healthy relationships and business teams that thrive. Connect to us on LinkedIn at Thrive Inc. Learn how we can work with you, your team, or your company at thriving.com. That's www.thriveinc.com. We hope you have a peaceful, productive, and beautiful day. Take care.